I want to read to you out of this little storybook. Has anyone got this at home? Anyone who's got kids under 10 or around the age of 10? This is definitely my absolute favorite kids storybook. And um, if you don't yet have kids, but you're planning to have kids, go get it now and then just keep it for 10 years. If you do have kids and you want to find a storybook to put in their stocking, this is, this is a great one. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Every story whispers his name. And it's written by Sally Lloyd-Jones and illustrated by Jago. And I'm going to read to you from the very, very first story. And it talks about what is the Bible about. <clears throat> the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from far to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and came to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible, and this print is really small, to tell the story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see the beautiful picture. I want to play a video about the main character in the story. Hit it, Eddie. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on your baby boy would save our sons and daughters did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new this child that you delivered will soon deliver you Yeah. 
I'm going to be preaching from 1 Luke, chapter 26. No. Luke, chapter 1, verse 26 to verse 38. And this is the story of Mary. And I would love my niece, Kira, to come and read the story for us. And she needs a handheld mic. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his, high, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked, the an Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Thank you, Kira. I chose Kira specifically and also because she's a very willing niece, but specifically because Kira is roughly about the same age that Mary was when the angel appeared to her and told her she was going to be pregnant. Kira, little Kira, 14, nearly 14 years old. Can you fathom it? So who was Mary? Mary was a human girl, and she was legally pledged to be married to a man called Joseph, who was of the Davidic line, which is how the prophecy is, is fulfilled, but she wasn't married yet. They weren't, legally pledged means there were plans, arrangements were going to be made, but they hadn't got to that point yet, right? And so, she was of Levitic descent herself, and she lived in this place called Nazareth. I wonder if this pointer works. No. Um, now, Nazareth is at the top there in Galilee. So you've got Judea, which is where Jerusalem was, the city of David. Then you've got Samaria, and the Israelites don't really like to talk about the Samarians. And then you've got Galilee. She lived a long way from the city of David. Nazareth was like... Fentadorp is to Joburg. <laughs> and no offense to anybody who lives in Fentadorp, right? But it wasn't exactly the economic capital of Israel. It was just a place where people, normal, average people lived. It was not, the, there was not, a, the seat of the, the throne of Israel was not there. In South Africa, we have like, I think it's four capitals, Cape Town, Pretoria, Bloemfontein, and then the economic capital, Joburg. That was a little joke. Okay, <laughs> tough crowd. Right, so she lives in, in Nazareth. 
they are not wealthy. She is a poor working class girl born to a working class family. But even though she was poor, even though she lived far away from the city of David, where this prophecy was supposed to be fulfilled, she was chosen. Mary was chosen to be part of the holy plan of redemption. That is all we've already heard about this morning, as Dan mentioned earlier. And Mary allowed God to interrupt her life spectacularly. I mean, there's nothing more public than a pregnancy. You got that bump for at least four months. Everybody knows you are pregnant. It's pretty permanent. Once you're pregnant, then there's a child. It's very public. And in her culture of the day, an illegitimate child was going to mean that she would bring shame upon her family. It was likely that Joseph would break the agreement and legally divorce her, and she would be rejected by the community and possibly even be executed. Her life was on the line. There would be, now that she was pregnant, there was gonna be no glamorous wedding. There was gonna be no feast. It was definitely not going to be a gender reveal because the angel had just told her she was having a boy. (laughs) There was not going to be a baby shower and there would be no family around her celebrating the birth of her baby because she would be shunned for having an illegitimate child. This is not the best news. This is kind of this could, this, if, you are, if you are Mary in this day and time and you have all of these consequences heaping on top, you're like, this is ruining my life. Bad news. But Mary is experiencing an angel and the angel is telling her that she is going to be covered in God's favor. And so she has to trust that what God said he's going to do he is going to do. And so with every step, she knows that God is going to work out every detail of this story. From convincing Joseph that he should not divorce her, rescuing her from public humiliation, even providing her an older relative who can sort of be her pregnancy mentor as she goes through her pregnancy, also carrying a holy child. Mary was chosen to be part of God's holy plan. In John 5, verse 24 to 25, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That's the plan. The plan is for people to hear and live. And Mary gets to be a part of this plan. And so she doesn't care that she might be shunned. She doesn't care that she might be executed. She has been waiting for the Messiah to come because there have been prophecy after prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament about how the Messiah is going to come and rescue people from persecution. And she realizes she gets the opportunity to be a part of that. She gets to participate. And so what does she do? She says yes. She says yes without knowing what's coming apart from the next nine months. It's pretty, that, that's kind of pretty set in stone. Gonna be pregnant for nine months, and then what? She says yes to the greatest rescue plan on earth. Now, yes, you'll see I've put full stops there. You know me, I'm all about punctuation. And so that is an acronym. Yes stands for Mary was yielded. Mary was expectant, and Mary was still and open. So let's dive into each one of those. Mary was yielded. Mary was not dazzled and excited by her glorious future as the mother of Christ. 
She had a posture of humility. She trusted that because it was God's work, he was going to work out the details. She was expectant, but humble at the same time. And so, because she needs a little clarity, she says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Um, some details, little, just a little bit of details here, please. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Spirit of God is to be the agent of conception. Now, at this point, I must admit that I did go down a little rabbit hole because I was like, oh, hmm, was the agent like the sperm part or did, was Mary a surrogate or like how did it, was it a holy embryo? Like how did this work? And it doesn't actually matter. It does not matter. You know, in 2 Timothy, we spoke about there's those absolutes and then there's those things that don't matter. This is one of those things that really doesn't make a difference. But the fact of the matter is, he is Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't carry the sins of the Father with him. He's blameless. And that is the only way that this holy plan could have worked because the Redeemer had to be blameless. He had to be spotless. This could not have worked if Joseph was the father. Then Mary, oh, Mary was expectant, the E. God is going to fulfill his promise that he has made over and over and over again in the Psalms, in Isaiah, through the minor prophets, all through the Bible, we see the promise of the Messiah coming. And Mary is excited because this is gonna happen in her time. I know that there are people sitting here who feel that Jesus is coming back in their time, that they are going to see him in their lifetime. I know that those people are sitting in this room. Me, I'm like that two Timothy girl. I'm like, I don't know, it's okay. It's fine. He comes, awesome. He doesn't come, we just keep going with what we're doing. That's me. But there are those who are like, the rapture is coming. Cool. Mary was like that. She was like, the Messiah, and I'm going to birth the Messiah. How exciting. She was expectant. And so she says, expectedly, may your word to me be fulfilled. Now, this word fulfilled, the Greek word is genomai. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. But it signifies the beginning of a new narrative. It's a very significant word that she uses here. It signifies the beginning of a brand new story. Translated directly, it means to be, it will be, it will become, it has happened almost. It's almost like a foregone conclusion, right? This is where the new story starts. She is so expectant that she knows, using this word, she's saying that this has already started. It's already in motion. She believes it with all of her heart. She has an expectation that this is going to complete. And it's a narrative in which she knows she has to partner very closely with Father God and the Spirit of God to see it to its completion. Mary's prayer is a stunning prayer of surrender and submission. She is still and she is open to what God has planned. Since the moment of Adam and Eve, when they were banished from the garden so they couldn't eat from the tree of life, God has had this in mind. He has had to restore his relationship with humankind. Since that very moment, there was a holy plan. And so she prays this prayer of participation. She says, I am God's servant. She is open to what it is that God wants to do. In Psalms 112, it says, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting the Lord. 
Mary is being remembered forever. Her heart was steadfast. She trusted the Lord in the midst of this crazy news that she was about to be an unwed mother. When Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, she makes a statement about her identity. She reminds herself of her place in the order between her and God. Her job is to participate in what God is doing. This type of prayer is a prayer that she will participate without fear, that she will hold tight onto God and let go of her own dreams and plans and expectations that she had had for her life. Now, this kind of prayer is called praying in the middle voice. And in order to understand praying in the middle voice or participatory prayer, we have to face head on some of our default settings when it comes to prayer. And personally, I blame the English language for these types of settings. So hold on, you're about to have a little mini English language lesson. I promise it'll be worth it in the end. Okay, so in the English language, we have the active voice and we have the passive voice, okay? The active voice, the dog walked. This is the active voice. The subject is the dog. The action is the walk. The dog did a thing, which is the verb, he walked. We could also include an object. The dog walked down the street. Active. Active prayer is when we, with very good motives and intentions, try to get God to move in our plan. So we try to will God with our own motives and our own plan. So how many of us have ever prayed for something expecting God to move in a certain way? So I have a Pamela, am I allowed to share this? So we have a book club that, we, that we've been running for like as long as I've been married, which is 17 years. Got it right today. And, um, <clears throat> and they are, we come together and we pray. And this week, this week we met and Pamela said, guys, please pray for cash. And we're like, okay, we're gonna pray for cash. So we prayed for cash for Pamela. And literally at the end of book club, Pamela got a beep, beep on her phone, and Discovery and Sure had deposited 168 rand into her bank account <laughs> for driving like a good driver. And Pamela was like, Lord, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? We're like, no, Lord, I wanted you to answer in a different way. And the Lord's like, I hear you, Pamela, have 168 rand. We have to be expectant, like Mary, that God will answer your prayers, but be open to you experiencing his will and his way, not yours. Because you know what? His ways are higher. The thing with active prayer is that we reduce our prayer to a formula. We use a formulaic code to pray for provision, and if you pray like this, and then you say that, and and you end with, in the name of Jesus, amen, you will get the thing you prayed for. No, there is no formula. You cannot crack a code to get God to do what you wanna do. There is no place you have to be. There are no words you have to say. There is no posture you have to take to get God to do what you want him to do. Because when we start introducing that, it becomes a ritual, becomes an incantation. And that is not the way God wants to have a relationship with us. Now we move on from active to passive. Passive voice is often used in academia to report on what somebody else said once upon a time. 
So, all of, so oh, by the way, Claude, Sharon, congratulations on your graduations this week. Your academic. So in, in the passive voice, the subject, the dog, receives a walk from his owner. The dog was walked by Dotero. Dotero, you now have a dog. Congratulations. The focus shifts from the dog to the walk or to Dotero. In passive prayer, we take advice. We are not controlled by the action of prayer. It's passive and it becomes impersonal. So I am being acted upon. I receive the action. We contemplate, we confess, and we accept our fate, and there's nothing we can do. Can the heart of God be changed? Yes. Hezekiah did it, remember? He said, Lord, please let me live. God was about to kill him. And he said, okay, seven more years. This is pretty good. In passive prayer, we take advice. We are not controlled by the action of prayer. It's, it becomes impersonal. It's not the way that Jesus prayed. We just accept whatever will be, will be. God's got a plan and it's all good and I'm part of that plan and I don't pray into anything. Prayer becomes a means of just emptying yourself so that you can be calm and relaxed and walk into your day with some zen. No. Contemplative practices like meditation in Christian sense is not about emptying oneself. A contemplative practice is about being filled with the Holy Spirit. A contemplative practice is about being blessed by the Father. A contemplative practice is about putting on the armor of God and being clothed with Christ. That is what contemplative practice is. So if you are trying to be at one with the universe, that is not prayer. There's always one in the bunch. <laughs> the middle voice is rarely used in the English language. Maybe this is why we are prone to default to active and passive prayer, because the middle voice is not something that we are used to engaging with. In the middle voice, it becomes the action that is central to the subject. In the middle voice, the sentences are often not complete. We don't have enough information. It doesn't obey the language rules. That's why they don't use it. So with our dog, the dog was getting walked. That is a middle voice sentence. But it's not a complete thought. Whose dog? Where was the dog being walked? When? How? It leaves us asking questions. The focus is now on the walk, not the dog. It needs clarification. Praying in the middle voice, we become secondary. We are not the subject anymore. We are not the primary actors. We are expected to participate and to join in the action through our prayers of plea, through our prayers of intercession, through our cries of mercy. That is praying in the middle voice. Active is doing. I counsel my friend. Passive is where I am being acted upon. I am counseled by my friend. Middle voice is when we participate in the results of the action. I take counsel. From who? Where? When? The subject partic participates in the results of the action that were initiated by someone else. When we pray in the middle voice, we participate in an action that God has already started. Something initiated by God. We open ourselves up to participating in what he has already started, his holy plan. We participate in what he has already willed. 
Now, I have had a very interesting season in my life over the last five months. God has been redirecting my efforts. And so I've been trying lots of different things in in my business. And I can tell you there are some things that I have tried and it has fallen 100% completely flat. And then I'm just like, God's not in that. Stop, stop trying that. It's not working. What is he blessing? What is he, what is he doing? Go there, go where he's blessing. Stop running into a brick wall. <clears throat> Jesus said, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so, the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. The father is always at work. There is something for you to get involved in that he's doing because he's always at work. So we need to join the father to complete the work of the son, just as he asked us to do. But the thing is here, we don't join as like Moses and Isaiah and Abraham did because we're on the other side of the redemption of the cross. We join the work as sons and daughters. We join that work as Jesus joined that work. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's full participation. That's how we join this work, as sons. Now, I wanna tell you a quick testimony, and I'm telling you this with permission from Stash and Ruan. Stash and Ruan are in our life group. They haven't been in the church very long, and initially they thought that, it, that we were all a little bit too close. I'm so glad you guys have joined us inside the cult. (laughs) But unfortunately, when Stash and and Ruan joined us, Stash's dad, Kevin, was was ill. And and he has um, since passed away, and his memorial service is on Tuesday. And so Stash, condolences. And we know that he's he's driving his red sports car in heaven. Um, But... We knew that, that Kevin wasn't well, and we knew that he was um, in, a, in a facility, a caring facility. And one day, I got a voice note from my sister-in-law, Lauren, and she said, and are you aware, I had a conversation with one of the ladies at the school who bumped into Stash during drop-off time, and are you aware that um, Kevin's been moved into ICU? <clears throat> and I wasn't aware. And so I said to Lauren, oh, we knew that he was sick, but we didn't know he'd been moved. Thank you so much for telling me. Um, I'll get on it straight away. So then I said to Dan, my husband, Dan, Dan, do you think you could get some guys together and go and pray for Kevin? And Dan said, yeah, cool, he'll get on it. So he got on it. Meanwhile, in Stash's house, unbeknownst to me, Stash is having a conversation with Ruan and saying, I just wish somebody could go and pray for my dad in ICU. But who are these people? Who are these people that go and pray for people? And then within a few minutes, and message, ping, hey, can Dan and Fred go pray for your dad? She hadn't even reached out. God was already at work. God was at work three days before when that lady had a conversation with Stash and then sent a voice note to Lauren, who then sent a voice note to me, who then said to Dad, who then said to Fred, and they went and prayed. 
I mean, isn't that amazing? God knew what Stash was going to need two days before she even spoke it out. He had started working to get it to happen so that Kevin could receive Jesus, so that he could be redeemed, so that he could go to heaven and drive his red sports car. This is, he is always at work. It's the most incredible story of redemption because he started. He probably started that story before what I've just told you. We just know that little part. Come on, guys, join the family business. We're here to get people saved. When we participate, we have to lay our egos and our own agendas aside because we are not the initiators, and we are not in control. But we join the action of the Holy Spirit, and we join that with prayer. We have to lay down our expectations of what this result was supposed to look like. Because what is the end result that we're aiming for? John 17, verse 20 to 23, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Our job is to take the message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world needs to believe that baby Jesus is Redeemer Jesus. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The life of Jesus was participatory. The result, unity with the Father. Unity and love. The goal is God with us. But God with us also calls for us to participate. God with us means us with God. Jesus echoed Mary's prayer in the garden of Gethsemane when he asked, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Same prayer that Mary prayed. Trusting the will of the Father because resurrection and unity awaits every son. His work is the best work for you because it's his work. So let's remember that we have popped into a story where we are not the lead character. We are the extras. Some of us are gonna play a supporting role. Some of us are gonna be extras. Like this little guy. Can you guys play that video? Okay, watch. Why I'm from Eternity. I'm a classic one. Classic one, is it? Classic car. Yeah. Um, Joseph. No. Um, one of the three ways men. That's so cute. Some of us are not going to be Mary or Joseph in the Nativity. Some of us are going to be door holder number three. How many of us were a tree in our year three tiny, you know, you want to be the main part, but you're going to be door holder number three. My question is, who are you opening the door for? 
Who are you opening the door for? You don't know. So embrace the part that Jesus has given you to play in this grand story. Let's find out what God is doing. Let's swim in that current. Let's invite God to form our desires, our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, and let's be like, yes, I'm door holder number three. Get in there. <laughs> like that kid. I've got a classic part to play in God's story of redemption. I'm gonna hold the door open for someone. He already has something planned for you to be part of his holy plan. He has a part for each of us extras to play. Jesus is the lead at the center. Are we able to pray Mary's prayer of whatever you want? I am the Lord's servant. There is no flattery in this identity. There is no objection either. And Mary doesn't go in going, but Lord, I can't do it, like Moses did, and gave a million excuses. Mary doesn't say, but I'm unqualified. I don't know my Bible well enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not all these things enough. She doesn't do that either. She just said, I'm your servant. May your will be fulfilled. We have to say yes to God's work through us. We have to accept it and we have to participate in it. We have to realize that God is working now and next week and always. And he's not just working at church, he's also working at life group. He's also working in the office, in the boardroom, in the salon. He's working in the lecture hall whether you're at the front of the class or the back of the class. He's working in the classrooms. He's working on the playing field. He's working in your interaction with the cashier. He's working everywhere, in every conversation, in every relationship. Fully participating and interacting with God could bring about an interaction with somebody who needs to hear and feel the love. We need to recognize our opportunity to partner with God in the chaos and the mess that is humanness on this earth. Eugene Peterson writes this, I enter into the action begun by another, my creator and saving Lord, and I found myself participating in the results of the action. I neither do it nor have it done to me I will to participate in what is willed. Prayer and spirituality feature participating, the complex participation of God and the human. So Dan, I'd love for you to come and give that testimony now. You're gonna grab that mic. This is my handsome husband, just in case you didn't know. Hello, hello. <laughs> um, yeah, so this week we had, uh, we had, we prayed for a little boy, Josh, who had a, a seizure. And many of you will have heard of uh, Rory and Steely, uh, who run the Rutanung Community Foundation in Lesotho. And their son, Josh, had a, <clears throat> a seizure. <clears throat> and uh, on Thursday morning, it was uh, Stuart got a message from Steely to say that he had had the seizure and they were taking him to a doctor in, in Zastron, which is about an hour away from the village. Uh, when they got to the, the doctor, he hadn't come out the seizure yet. And they said that he needed to be rushed to a hospital in Bloemfontein, which is another two hours away. And so we just prayed. On our group, on our, our, our mission to the city group, we just prayed and we prayed. And we got an update that evening to say that he had come out of the seizure, uh, but he wasn't able to speak or talk. And they said, no, we'll, we'll let him rest for the night, sleep through the night, and we'll reassess him in the morning. Uh, so we prayed again. We just kept on praying. We're praying that, you know, through the night, 
um, he would be restored. You know, his rest and all that, God would do work. And the next morning he woke up fully recovered. I mean, it's just, thank you, Lord. And we, you know, we can just pray and pray, but it, God, the God is the God of miracles. Amen. I think we recognize that God is at work, but he wants us to participate in prayer. He wants us to pray for Josh when we hear that he's unwell. He wants us to pray for cash in our bank account. He wants us to participate and ask him, because if you don't ask, you don't give him permission to invite you into the story. Whenever you recognize or others recognize, ooh, why am I using this? It's very inconvenient, that thing. Whenever you recognize or others recognize God's work in your life, lean into what they're saying and lean in with prayers of consent. Yes, Lord, I invite you to develop that character in me. He, that he will complete the work, remaking you in his image. The mystery here, the mystery of participating with Jesus is that the plan is not clear at all. We can see a couple of steps on the journey, but God's action precedes our requests. He already knows, but he wants us to participate and give him consent by asking. We need to ask, and then we need to make a commitment. We need to make a commitment to go where he asks us to go, to give, to forgive those that have hurt us, to include those on the margins, to slow down so you can hear his voice, to take rest when you need it, to see others through his eyes, to have hope, to believe, to serve, to speak, to listen, to wait, to love. It's not our job to get God on our side. It's our job to get on God's side. Mary joined God's plan of redemption. She didn't try to convince God of what the plan should be. Okay, God, let me just get married and then it won't be so bad. She had a voice. She asked. She wasn't passive. How will this be? The Holy Spirit, I am your servant. She accepted. She was a poor, young, pregnant, unmarried girl. Jesus is 100% comfortable with those odds. Hang out with Jesus. Ask him to invite you in to where he is going. Can you make yourself available? Not having all the answers, not knowing what all the steps look like, participating fully, trusting for the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step to be revealed, even if it really is only gonna be one step at a time, and he, wait for him to pour out his plan of love and redemption on the world through you. Wow, this seems like a lot. Too big, can't be part of that big plan. It's okay, it can be door holder number three. You don't have to be on the platform. You can say hello at the door. You can love somebody at the visitor's table. You can buy somebody a scone. Don't have to be the main, you're not supposed to be the main attraction. It's God's to do. So here is your challenge for December. Your challenge for December is to recognize a situation or a relationship in your life where you believe that God is already working and to partner with him to ask him for the deepening and the furthering of his renewal in that relationship. His renewal of that work or furthering of that work that he's already doing and invite him to send you as the answer to prayer. That is your December and hopefully lifelong challenge. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. So just as we 
were They're worshiping on. earlier. I just felt to to pray for some people. I don't want to I don't want to embarrass anybody here. And so I'm not going to ask you to stick up your hands, but I am going to ask everybody to just bow their heads. In the attitude of prayer. And I just, as we were worshiping, I just really felt that there are people who have come today, or maybe you're watching online, and you feel like you are in the middle of a hopeless situation. You may have given up on a prayer that you've been praying for a really long time. There may be a relationship in your life that has gone completely south. You may have given up on trusting God for the job or the cash in the bank or to fulfill his promise that he made to you 10 years ago. Lord, where are you doing what you asked me to do? And I really felt to say to those of you who resonate with this, that God is already at work. And he says, lean in. Lean back into that relationship. Lean back into those prayers. Start trusting me again. Commit. Forgive. Go. Participate in this redeeming work. Because he has not created you to live outside of his unity and his love. Thank you, Jesus, that you're at work. Help us to have yielded, expectant, submitted hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. The worship team is going to play a carol. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for humoring me. Um, and we're going to sing a carol. But if there's anybody who resonated with that and would like to come forward for prayer, I'm going to ask the life group leaders that are here, the elders that are here, please come forward and stand with people who feel like they need to start participating again with what it is that God is doing. Five, four, three, two.